Good morning, and uh, welcome to all of those people who are joining us from, let's see if I can get all the C's correct, West Edmonton Chinese Christian Community Church. There's like four C's at the end of that, right? Did I get it? Fantastic. Welcome to all of you for joining us here today as well. Uh, it definitely is kind of heading towards that fall season, and I, I know it's, it's hard to think, but you've probably, like me, seen some of the back-to-school advertisements and sales coming up already. Uh, if you were at Costco recently, and look closely, they already have some Christmas wrap on the shelves. But we all know that Costco is typically six months ahead of the rest of culture, so that's uh, not too much of a warning sign. Because we've got lots of summer left, I'm sure. There's a number of weeks of good weather we can still enjoy. Uh, things are picking up around the church here a little bit, though. Uh, we do find ourselves with a lot more planning and prepping and a lot more meetings about the year and the season to come, which I think is going to be a fantastic, exciting season for us this year. Uh, I found myself in a meeting this past week, and, and there's an interesting thing about this meeting is we, we, technically we broke three golden rules. And, and here they are. I'm sure in business, in school, in different areas, you've heard it said before that there's three things you don't talk about, right? Religion, money, and what's the third one? Politics. We covered all three in, in this meeting. Now, religion isn't really that dangerous of a topic to talk about. When you come meet with a pastor in a church, if religion comes up, you shouldn't be too surprised, if that happens. So, so that wasn't too unusual. Uh, the meeting was in part about money, and so that was on the agenda. So that wasn't too much of a surprise, although we were talking some, some bigger numbers, which you could kind of feel a little bit of <laughs> interesting feeling coming to the room during those moments. But then at the end of the meeting, one of the people said, well, you know, I, I guess in a few months we'll see how all that's affected by the election. And you just like feel the air get sucked out of the room all of a sudden because you're like, well, where do we go with that? Like you've just thrown that on the table as a topic of conversation for us now. And, and I know my political leanings and I kind of know what I'm going to do when it comes around. But I don't know yours and what you're going to do. And if we all of a sudden talk about this and I'm over here and you're over here, I'm suddenly in a position where I need to come up with a quick defense of my position just at the drop of a hat. And, and the wheels start turning, we're not sure we're able to do that. You ever found yourself in a situation where somebody throws a topic of conversation on the table that you weren't ready for, and you feel that tension just kind of enter into the room a little bit? Had that situation happen for you? It happens around the office quite often, actually, because Luke continues to wear his Stampeder shirt around the office, and Brenda is determined to decorate her office in rider colors and logos. And I think they're just inviting those tension-filled conversations when they do things such as that. But most of us find ourselves in these moments, and we fall into two camps. There's the camp where there are those people who love a healthy, vigorous debate. And then there's the rest of us normal people who, who just don't really like the conflict. And, and we'd rather not have to constantly be defending a position that we find ourselves in. Well, as uncomfortable as those things may be for us at times, the passage we're going to have a look at today, uh, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we find ourselves in an area where the Apostle Paul finds himself having to defend his ministry. Not just, a, not just a point of theology, not just an aspect of his ministry, his entire ministry, what he's given his entire life towards. 
He's in the point where he has to defend that. And in the letter he wrote to the church in Corinthians, a, a church that he founded, that he nurtured for many years and discipled the people, a church where through, through sweat and tears he established and grew up, he finds himself at a point where they've gotten a little shaky. And he has to confront people in the church about what's going on in there, about some of the views they're holding and some of the conduct that's taking place. And this tension between him and the church escalates until he finds himself defending himself and his own ministry. And in the middle of 2 Corinthians, we get to this section that's referred to as the great digression. It's referred to as the great digression, where he's defending the nature of his ministry and the high calling that he himself has received. Now, early on in this defense, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he draws back to a historically successful ministry. One that everybody he's writing to, one that everybody who had been in that church for a long time would be familiar with and would hold in very high regard. That being the ministry of Moses. Now, Specifically, the aspect of Moses' ministry where he's comparing how Moses was the mediator, how he mediated the old covenant that God had established with the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. Now, if you're not familiar with, with this idea of a covenant, it's, it's this reference, it's the way to refer to a, like a solemn promise or the, the terms of reference for the relationship between the nation and God that, that was established by God and, and from God. And so Paul is holding up this ministry, and he holds it up versus the ministry that he is revealing in the new covenant, which was instituted by the cross of Jesus Christ. And now, one thing they hold in common is that they're both from God and instituted by God and maintained by God. But as Paul unpacks the distinction between them, some important differences come to the surface. Now, what Paul's talking about when he was referring to this old covenant to Moses refers back into the book of Exodus, chapter 34. And this is where you find the story of Moses going up Mount Sinai, chiseling out some tablets from the mountain, and then God comes and writes the covenant on those tablets. Now, just imagine for a second. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be in the shoes of Moses? On the mountain, spending this time in that close relationship with God. As, as the glory of God comes down, and as you're in the midst of his presence, as he creates these tablets, which is going to be the law, the, the, the covenant of the relationship that you will follow for the days going forward in your relationship with him. I imagine if you could think of yourself in that situation, you would know that you could not leave that without being impacted in some fashion impacted internally within your heart and your mind and your understanding and relationship to God. But, but also in this case, we find that Moses was also impacted externally. Because as he was surrounded by the glory of God, Scripture tells us that his face became radiant. It became radiant from being in the presence of God, meaning that it, it kind of glowed. It, it had like, like literally the word that they use there is like, is like shots of rays came out from his face. It would be like staring at the sun, where you not only see the glow of the sun, but you can feel it on your skin, on your face, as you look at that bright, glowing, fallen sky. And so as Moses comes down from the mountain to deliver God's law to the people, now he doesn't know that this has happened, though. He's had this experience, but he doesn't know that he is radiating as he comes down, radiating inside, but also outside himself as well. And as he gets closer to the camp, 
there's people who are, who are kind of giving them funny looks and, and they're backing away and they won't make eye contact with them. And I don't know Moses personally, but if he was a self-conscious guy, he may have thought, is, is there something on my face or you know, something with my cloak? Why, why aren't you guys looking at me? But the people were fearful when he came down the mountain. And so because of the fearfulness that they had at the radiance of his face, Moses adopted the practice of covering his face with a veil whenever he would speak to them. <clears throat> and in the days thereafter, the way it would work is that whenever Moses went into the tent of meeting to meet with God again and, and to speak with God in that, in that fellowship, he would uncover his face. But then as he left the tent of meeting to deliver the message to the people and to address the people and to mediate that covenant between them and God, he would cover his face again. And he did this for three reasons, it's believed. Number one, it's believed that the covering of his face was an act of judgment. It was an act of judgment against these people who were sinful. These people who are stiff-necked and stubborn. Remember the golden calf episode? when they built that idol and said, let's go back to Egypt. It was better back in Egypt as slaves rather than free under God. Remember how they constantly grumbled and complained, the stiff-necked, sinful people. So it was an act of judgment as, as God's glory was veiled from them. Now, there was a separation between them and God. And it's thought that even if they had looked directly at the radiance of God upon Moses' face, that some commentators think they may even have died because of how sinful they were and how holy God is. But the second thing is it was also an act of mercy. You see, there was a separation between them and God because of the radiance and the glory of God and the sinfulness of them, but, but by covering Moses' face and by, by covering that glory, it did give a means by which Moses could stand between the people of God and still provide a means of communication and therefore have a means of relationship. So even though there's a holy God and a sinful people, Moses would stand in the middle as a mediator with face covered to hide the glory of God so that a relationship could still exist because that was the purpose of the covenant. But there's a third reason. It's because whenever God, Moses would go meet with God, he would experience the full glory of God and, and his face would radiate. But then as he left the tent with veiled face and walk out amongst the people, over time, the glory was fading. Every hour, every minute of every day, the glory would slowly fade. And they didn't want people to see that the glory of God was fading. Not because God was fading, but because this pointed to the fact that the old covenant was always intended to be a temporary covenant. It was temporary in nature. And so Paul establishes this discussion, and then he talks about how this applies to his situation in the new covenant that he was ministering under, and how the new covenant was superior. You see, where the old covenant brought condemnation because of their sinfulness, where it was governed by separation, and where it was temporary, the new covenant, Paul argues, is bringing righteousness. It is bringing a personal relationship between God and man, and it is everlasting. And that's why when you read the book of Hebrews, when you get to Hebrews chapter 8, the author says that if there was nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. No place would have been sought for another. But God said the day is coming when another covenant will be established with my people, and it won't be like the old one. You see, the old one, my people were not able to follow because they weren't faithful to it. And they continued in this life of separation where we long to be together in unity. 
And so under the new covenant, which will not be written on tablets of stone, but instead this new covenant that God will place in the minds of the people and he will write his law upon their hearts. God will be with his people in intimate, personal fellowship with no go-between. No need for a veil to be covering the face or covering the heart because the forgiveness that they receive that brings them into that relationship will be an everlasting reality in their lives. And it will be a glory that never fades from their lives. And only in Jesus Christ is that veil removed from the old covenant. And as that veil is removed from the old covenant, we come to see that it always pointed towards Jesus in the first place. It always pointed towards the fact that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that he stood between God and us just as Moses did. But not as a mediator. He stood between God and us as a redeemer. So that by the one sacrifice that he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy and therefore can be in that personal relationship with God. This is why Paul teaches the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is why he can confidently say, as we find ourselves now in verse 316 of our series, this is why he can confidently say that whoever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is lifted from their hearts. This was the authority. This was the ministry of Paul. But ladies and gentlemen, it's also the authority and the ministry for us as well. Because before Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked at all of his disciples who were assembled there with him. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Sumeria, into the very ends of the earth. All power and authority have been given to him. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon each of us, that we will be his witnesses locally, regionally, and globally is the commission that we've received. It wasn't just a commission that Paul received. It extends to everybody who has had that veil lifted from their hearts, even to this very day. It extends to all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have received the forgiveness of their sins and thereby received the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives with us and in us and directs our steps. And when that veil is lifted from our hearts, we find freedom. We find freedom in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we can begin to have eyes to see others who need to have the veil lifted from their hearts. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time doing today. The rest of our time today, I want you to hear from a few people. Some practical stories, some examples of people that you know from around you who have gone into all the world to share the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ so that they, in partnership with the work of the Holy Spirit, could help people turn their hearts towards the Lord so that veil could be lifted from their lives, that they could experience freedom as well. So I'm going to invite Kathy Jensen. I'm going to invite Riza. If you folks will come join me up on the platform here. And we want to talk to you folks a little bit today about what this has looked like in a very practical manner in your lives here. And so Kathy... We're going to chat with you first. And Riza, thank you so much for being here today. If you could just uh, have a seat for a moment, we'll definitely talk to you in a second. 
Uh, and, and just as a note, uh, if you're listening to this online, following words, you're not going to hear from Riza. Uh, for security reasons, we are not able to put his stories on the internet. Um, so you're going to miss that. But that means you should have been here. So <laughs> thanks, Riza. Uh, Kathy, so we're excited to have you here with us today. And so why don't you just begin to kind of orientate us. Let us know a little bit about, about, about who you are and where you went and why and some of those basic things. We understand the nature of the story. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, church, for um, your encouragement and support in uh, our short-term mission trip. Too hungry to serve with Ron and Jeannie Sect to the Romani peoples. Ron and Jeannie Sect work with CHE which stands for Community Health Evangelism, alongside with Nationals Latsi and Esther Dorochi Kusui. That's Hungarian, it's really difficult. And Fury and Yudet, ministering to the Roma peoples. And you would know the Roma peoples by a more common name, gypsies or travelers. So you were in, am I on there? There we go. So you were uh, in Hungary. Uh, working with a couple missionaries there that we're familiar with, uh, working with the gypsies. Yes. Now, as, as I've known in some of my studies and personal experiences, different cultures, different people around the world have unique challenges, as do those who are trying to take the message of the gospel to them. So, so are there, what sort of challenges do those people face in those situations there? Um, the Lord of the Harvest, he's working in the Roma gypsy nation more than any other nation in Europe. But when gypsies come to know Christ, their plight is still very, very desperate. They are the poorest of the poor. They're marginalized in society. They're despised, undereducated, unemployed, prematurely aged due to disease, hard life, and bad habits. And they're often without any hope. The Roma and their communities, they need Jesus Christ plus Christian discipleship that is holistic, touching every area of life, spiritual, physical, emotional, economic, educational, social, and more. And that is where our short-term missions trip came in. Fantastic. Now, that's something that we're trying to encourage as part of the DNA of the church here, some short-term mission trips. And so people may not be familiar with that concept or, or you know, when or if that might even be the right thing for them. So could you just maybe personally for a moment share why you went on this trip and how that worked? Yes, as some of you know, my husband died one and a half years ago. And I mourned. I was, I was at a loss for a while. And I um, felt God started to nudge me to uh, start volunteering again. And I prayed for God's direction as to where. And the opportunity came up on the West Mendel's website. And it was like God said, see, this is what I want for you to do for me. Well, that's exactly what I did. I feel God has, he's given me a gift to serve those in our society who are the marginalized, the outcasts, the ignored. And I felt this is where God wanted me to go. Fantastic. So you, you heard the call, you responded, and you took that big leap and that big plane ride all the way to the other side of the world in this case. And why don't you tell us a bit of what happened when you got there, how the stories went. Okay. Although um, NAB, we're expecting 12 or more to participate in this missions trip, only four of us signed up. Uh, Trish Turk, Anne-Marie Dell, and myself from this church, and Tracy Haskin from Idaho, and Nancy Cullen, she was our stay-at-home organizer and encourager. 
And our tasks were twofold. One was to minister to the children in a daily vacation Bible school setting, teaching English through the telling of three Bible stories, David and Goliath, the sower and the sea, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the second was doing crafts that emphasized the story. Tracy and I worked with Ron teaching the English class while Anne-Marie and Trish assisted Jeannie with the craft sessions. And whom did we serve? We served 40 to 50 children gathered each morning for the three-day camp in Zumbok and Bulldog that focused on the theme that we can be overcomers through the power of Jesus Christ in us. The camp featured songs, drama, games, snacks, and Bible teaching. Fury taught the Bible applications. He was absolutely wonderful with the kids. I loved watching him. I had no idea what he's saying. It was all in Hungarian. But the kids were riveted. And they sat and they listened for, to what he had to say. And a number of them prayed with Fury to receive Christ into their lives. In the evenings, our teens, along with translators, we visited the homes of some of the children, giving out chocolate chip cookies, which is not a common thing in Hungary, and other small gifts from Canada and Idaho. Each of us had the opportunity, opportunity to share our personal testimony of Jesus Christ in our life and, how, and our certain hope of eternal life. On the final night in Zambok, our team held a Canada evening picnic complete with homemade Canadian chili made by the one who had the recipe, me, and the singing of O Canada and videos of the country of the maple leaf. The next three days, the team followed the same pattern in the village of Bodog as we battled cold, windy, and rainy weather with brought out many beautiful snails and tiny frogs, which was a story in itself. I was trying really hard not to, like, at first I was walking around, like, you know, avoiding the snails, avoiding the frogs, but after a while I just, I gave up. I just, I just put up with the crunches. I lost my place, sorry. Oh, that's it. I have so many stories um, of the time I spent with the Roma peoples. And, you know, please feel free to ask me to tell you about some of those stories. Um, they're just, they're wonderful stories. They're funny ones, and they're just, just wonderful. And uh, the home visits and testimony sharing were a highlight and I witness that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and a boldness through the transformation in Jesus Christ. It amazed me and encouraged me to see the boldness of Roma Christians in Hungary. There is an evident joy in their lives, but there is a hunger and an urgency to learn more. And it broke my heart when I learned that churches in Hungary shut out the Roma population because they're Roma. They attend home churches such as the one that Fury had in his home. In fact, he had so many people coming in and out of his home, I didn't know who lived there for a while. 
one thing keeps coming back to my mind's eye. I have a, and it's a picture of our, one of our translators, a 15-year-old young fellow named Barnabash, whose love for Jesus just brightly shined through him. And I'll never forget the compassion and the time he spent with a young Roma boy around the same age as him, whose face reflected such loneliness and rejection. I watched Barnabash spend time with this boy through the three days that we were there. And I watched Barnabash put his hands on this boy and pray with him. It was a beautiful thing to behold. The boldness and freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. Um, please pray for the Roma peoples. They have a difficult life. But I have seen such a transformation in them when Jesus is involved. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. You just give that to Riza, yeah. And it's such a great story to hear that that in those. Come on up, Riza. That as um, as Kathy was sharing that through through stories, through crafts, through through the presence of somebody, especially somebody who has traveled so far and given so much to come, that there's meaning in that. And and sometimes it's not just in that momentary, that instant sort of sharing of the gospel, but how many kids have had that seed planted? And maybe a week, a month, a year down the road, others will come along and help to nurture that and grow it as they go through a process of finding that veil to be lifted from their hearts. Thank you so much. I just got a question for you guys. What is uh, brownie, or what do you say in the beginning? What's the food name? Bazania. It's kind of like a Chinese noodles? Okay, I will be there, okay, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. A few times I, I was be part of this service, I, Really, I, I could not really understand what Pastor Mark was sharing, preaching, but I enjoy his passion and the physical movement. <laughs> kind of like dancing, yeah. So he gave me seven minutes. Let me finish today the, uh, our uh, preaching time. Uh, Pastor... <laughs> Mark just preached on the Second Corinthians 16. I'm going to uh, talk about the 17th. The 17th said, now the Lord is a spirit. Okay. And uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So today we talk about the freedom. As Pastor Mark said, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty of our sins. And he took away the veil. And we could face to face to know God, to build our personal relationship with God. As a Christian, we all know that. But my question is, how do you experience the freedom in Jesus Christ? How deep you experience the freedom in Jesus Christ? There are three enemies for each of us. They made us, we were sliver of them. First, is our flesh. Galatians 5.24 said, those who 
belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. We all know as a human being, our sinful nature, even when we were young, our lovely, cute kids, and like my second daughter always talked to me, Daddy, can I have more candy? And the older one said, Daddy, I want to watch much more longer iPad or YouTube. And then when they grow up, they ask you more toys, iPad, iPhone. Some of them, they got addiction with the internet, bad stuff. And some of them, they involve with the alcohol, drugs. They try to find joy or happiness for their flesh, but they could not sanctify. So, here's a story. I want to talk a young guy. He was an international student in U of A, and he, he told me he loved the video games, and once he spent three days and nights playing one game. And no food, only drink some pops. And I met him in a uh, the young life camp. His friend invited him to join us. And after like a couple of months, he said, oh, it was no meaning for my life. I must believe in Jesus Christ. And we all see his life have been transformed. And you know what happened? Today, it's, it's almost, uh, I met him it's, uh, five years ago, but uh, today he brought seven kids, high school kids, and uh, into young life camp. And uh, one kid just similar with him. His young life stuff. What happened in his life? Jesus took the veil away and set him free and the send the Holy Spirit in him, the power of the Holy Spirit transformed his life. Second enemy is the word. In the first John chapter 5 verse 4 said, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Evan I'm pronounced right or not correct, maybe. It's okay. My Chinglish, you understand. <laughs> okay. And when Young Life uh, staff, he was my mentor when I was involved with Young Life. And he told me, Tony, there are three things the word use try to make you become sliver of the word. First, it's power. As a human being, we want to have more power or get the high class of the society. And the second, it's money. We want more money to be successful. And the third, it's a sex. And uh, he told me, be careful. Be careful. These three things. And there's a sister, uh, maybe 10 years ago, the whole family, the uh, immigrant, 
uh, to Canada from China. And uh, her husband and her, they both got a very good job in Fort McMurray. And uh, three years ago, I met her and uh, she told me, in the beginning, when they got into Fort McMurray, they give another name to the city, said, here is the place Fort McMoney. They want to make big money, but they got some money. And one day, a couple years ago, her husband involved with a car accident and passed away. She lost her hope. Money still in account, but nothing for her. And there's a Chinese group, Bible study group, invited her to join the group, and step by step, and she believed in Jesus Christ. And I share today, she is supporting different mission group. She gave her money to churches. And just this May, I met her, and she told me, today, Fort McMurray used to be Fort McMurray, make money for her, but today, Fort McMurray is Fort Make Disciples. That's her story. Third enemy is the evil one. Let's say the book of Ephesians 6:13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, that means Jesus won the battle with the evil one. We also win when we battle with the evil one. We stand on the ground, but the evil one should fall down on the floor. I feel sometimes, I feel sad. Two years ago when I came here, in the very beginning, Pastor Mark introduced me to a Chinese guy. And... Uh, we face-to-face -face talk to each other, and he told me that time he was going to divorce with her, uh, his wife, and uh, he got depressed. But I invited him to come back again, but he never showed up. I could not have a chance to talk with him more. It's another woman called my cell phone. I was driving, and... Uh, she talked to me and said his son, already 27 years old, stay home and uh, don't have any kind of job and uh, play games all the day. And she asked me, what can I do? But my, my battery was going to die. I said, okay, could you call me tomorrow morning, 9 a.m.? She didn't call me. You know, among us, there are a lot of needs for the church people. Outside the church, for the community, there are a lot of needs for them because they are slavery of the evil one now. They don't have hope. They don't have the true love. They don't have the true meaning of life. So that's the, that's the reason Jesus Christ took the veil away and to share the good news and uh, taught us, go share the good news, good news of Jesus Christ because people, they need. 
to know this. So as a conclusion, I want to everyone here to know three things. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we win the struggling with our own flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we win the wrestling with the whole world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we win the fighting with the evil one. We are winner because we trust our Lord Jesus Christ. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you sent your only son. He died for us. He took the penalty. He took our sins away. And he sent the Holy Spirit among us, in us, to help us to win the struggling with our own flesh, the wrestling with the whole world, the fighting with the evil one. Jesus Christ, our Lord, he won, and he will win again when he second comes. Help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Let each of us to experience. We are with Jesus Christ. We are winners. We pray in Jesus' name.